0: All right, episode number nine here on the Artist of Motion features Grandmaster Howard Singer of the IKCA and Three Shields Kempo. Howard and I got to talking and the stories were so much fun we just couldn't stop at an hour. We laughed and had fun talking about his tournament career, how he started, and his drive to continue training and teaching that continues to this day. He's looking forward to getting back into film and TV roles in the coming years and is a regular at Chuck Sullivan's Dinner with Chuck Facebook series. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome to the Artist of Motion, today we feature a gentleman who has made numerous television and movie appearances on such shows like Sons of Anarchy, the movie Wild Hogs is one of the Del Fuego biker gang, and he's appeared in the movie 15 Minutes starring Robert De Niro. As a tournament competitor, he took home three trophies from the California State Championships and four trophies from the Long Beach International Karate Championships. Total he's taken home about 25 trophies from various competitions ranging from first place to third place. Originally training in Shotokan, he then switched to Kempo soon after. He was promoted to first degree black belt under Joe Dimmock in 1970, but the diploma was also signed by Edmund K. Parker. He was promoted to 10th degree black belt under the auspices of the IKCA in 2011, and also holds a 10th degree black belt under Joe Dimmock in Three Shields Kempo. Welcome to our show today, Grandmaster Howard Singer. How are you today, sir?
1: Fine, thank you. Thank you for having me on.
0: It's our pleasure. So for our audience listening out there, how about starting with, let's tell us about you. What's your background look like? How did you get started and where are you at today?
1: Well, after uh, I graduated from Lakewood High School, and I hate to say the year, but 1962, I decided that I wanted to learn something to keep exercising at, gives you strength, and also builds up some of the uh, initiative that you have. In other words, I was always a pretty shy guy until I started training with Mr. Kaylor Atkins in Shotokan in about 1963. After uh, about a year with him, one day he took vacation for a week. And I hate to say this, but his brother came in from uh, Chinese style. And after working a week with him, I switched to Chinese style then. At that time, I was working at North American Aviation on the Apollo program as an engineering draftsman, where I met actually to a man named Tony Sartor, who was with Mr. Dimick at that time and talked me into coming over to school, which was not far from where we worked or where we lived, so I started with Mr. Dimick then and went on to get my black belt from him and Mr. Parker. Mr Parker came down for my uh testing that year and uh promoted us to first degree black after working with him for uh Numerous years, Mr. Dimmick, I kind of, he was kind of my inspiration. He was one heck of a teacher who taught me a lot about fighting and talked me into doing tournaments. I must say, though, over my years, fighting uh, only did one tournament as doing cockta, and found out cocktail was not for me. I enjoyed the fighting, fought with many great. Not against, but with many great friends there uh, back in the earlier years. Some greats like Steve Saunders, Mohammed, Donnie Williams, Frank Trejo, Bob White. Just some great fighters back in those days that I really respected. And I learned something that fighting against people that you consider better fighters than you is a good way to get taught. I had, luckily, I had a good fighting career. As you said, I've, uh, I've won about 25 trophies, not all first places. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but there's a few first places, the state championship, international championships as a Brown belt couple, uh, two or three as uh, a black belt in the senior category. Uh, I've had some great years. actually at uh, one of my final tournaments, I, I retired from fighting and, uh, I came back to start getting my kids interested in it, Mr. Dimick was gone at that time. So I worked and trained at the same school that Bob White had his training. A gentleman named Bob Perry, who was the voice of the internationals for quite a few years. Worked out there for a couple of years. Then I kind of retired again from martial arts until I ran into uh, an old friend of mine, Vic LaRue, and Vic Willou was one of the founders of the IKCA and talked me into joining the IKCA. That was back in 1995. I learned the system, kept my rank. And from there, under Vic and uh, Senior Grandmaster Chuck Sullivan, who I have to mention, uh, my Senior Grandmaster Chuck Sullivan and my first instructor, Joe Dimmick, were in the same class together. So I've had two great super fighters and instructors over the years. I've had a lot of interesting time, learned it here, continued to test as per the IKCA rules every three years, worked my way up to 10th degree Grandmaster, was promoted in 2011 to Grandmaster along with another great fighter and martial artist, Armando de Loa, and uh, from there I'm still Still with Senior Grandmaster Chuck Sullivan. I'm there Monday nights on uh, his Dinner with Chuck show. And I have a little school of my own that I teach here in Garden Grove at a place called Next Level Sports Complex. We work out a couple nights a week. And uh, just recently, a couple guys from uh, a couple black belts from the IKKA wanted to use my place to train so they could continue that. They have no place to work out. These are a couple of a great fighter also and martial arts. These are students of Tim Broad, who is a very respected man in martial arts. And uh, we have a good time. We work out a couple times a week, do a little bit of difference. They bring back a little bit of the memories of the IKKA system. And we also converse and compare with IKCA. So we have a good time. And uh, luckily, I'm still active in it. I've had more than my share of, believe me, accidents over the years, but uh, I don't. I want to follow in the footsteps of uh, Mr. Dimmick and Mr. Sullivan. I don't want to quit till I can't do it anymore. I ride motorcycles still to this day. I enjoy it. I have some great friends in the IKCA and have met some fantastic people in martial arts. Uh, it's been a, a wonderful experience, and I will give it up to the world
0: and that's a little
1: bit of my
0: history. Well, thank I'm, you so I'm much sorry? for sharing all that stuff for us. That was great. So, dovetailing off of some of that conversation, um I got to ask about the motorcycles. So, if I remember correctly <laughs> just by the Facebook posts, I've seen several different bikes that you own, right?
1: Uh yes, uh I have a couple motorcycles, uh Harley-Davisons and uh one called Reaper 1 and the uh, other one I used for going cross-country was a full dresser called Reaper Two.
0: Yeah, if anybody hasn't seen those, he's got pictures of them on his Facebook account, which is, uh, they're completely tricked-out custom bikes. They're gorgeous.
1: <laughs> yeah, they so, have custom paint jobs on them, so I can't get rid of them even though they're getting a little bit older. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How did you uh, land the roles on Son of, Sons of Anarchy?
1: Well, I was lucky. Uh, I'd been doing, a friend of mine got me into a, uh, The Union and SAG, and I'd been doing extra background work in uh, a bunch of TV shows and movies. Uh, Luckily, they didn't cut me out. I got on uh, one day. They were having a call for some. They needed background extras to play hang around bikers for the Sons of Anarchy. So I went for an audition down to uh, North Hollywood where they shoot the thing on the set and went to an audition between the producers and the uh, directors and stuff like that and got accepted. So I, I was lucky enough to be on there for three seasons, one season as actually one of the uh, Sons of Anarchy. Kind of disappointing though. It's something that happens in uh, the movie business. Uh, I had one scene at this, uh, one of the members, Opie's funeral and uh, it was a good shot and I was playing uh one of the sons from Moab, Utah. And they started us in, bringing in, and I shake hands with Tig and go over by Bobby. And sometimes you had to smoke on there. So I smoked and went over by a couple of the guys and get whacked later. I was all set. That's why I didn't tell too many people when I was going to be on a show. I was sitting in uh, with one of our black belts in Rhode Island getting ready to watch the program. And I almost cried. They started the scene from the couple behind me so <laughs> my whole big shot there was cut out but that's what happens a lot so it, it was an experience but uh it's been a lot of fun
0: right on and then so that also you had another uh, motorcycle related appearance in the movie wild hogs
1: yeah that, that that's another kind of sad story for me i got called to do wild hogs and it was right after i had one of my ankle surgeries which fused my ankle and it had one of those big outside fixators on it. it. was like a tuning fork. If you bump into something, <laughs> had that on for six months and they took it off. And I went to the set of the wild hogs and, uh, the foot slipped. It didn't hold up. And I wound up sitting in a golf cart all day, not even shooting. And the second day I went in, I went in on crutches and I was one of the Del Fuegos So because of the crutches, they put me in the be- back behind, uh, Ray Liotta and them in the fight scene in front of the restaurant and every time they'd start shooting, I'm, uh, you know, yelling, yeah, yeah. And this and that and going to it. I had to hand the guy my crutches. as they started to the film and call action. And, uh, then they would give me the crutches back. I was supposed to be on the third day too, the motorcycle ride where they come into town and ride by the, uh, wild hogs while they're out in the forest. And, uh, I couldn't even ride that day. I had to back out of it, but it was still a lot of fun. I still, you have to. It's one of those scenes where if you blink, you might miss me.
0: <laughs> well, I'll have to find a uh, freeze frame of that particular scene. So when we put the podcast up, I'll put the screenshot up with it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to look back though. At that time, I was still dyeing my hair and mustache and all that, <laughs> so, <laughs> it was a little bit different than the uh, natural gray that I have now. <laughs>
0: Well, we'll make sure we find it. No worries. All right, let's go back to martial arts here. So, originally started in Shotokan, then went to Kempo, and then got Correct. into the tournament scene and the competition scene while you were training with Mr. Dimmick. So, you had a pretty solid, a pretty solid record of competition victories in various capacities. I would say, you know, first place to third place. You're, there's none of those are anything to be scoffed at. So, yeah, uh, the only there's a quote by Chuck Norris that says the only time that he ever uh, felt like he truly lost. Any competition, even if he didn't actually win, the only time he felt like he lost is if he didn't learn something. There's That's a lot right. of there's a lot of people out there these days that'll go to tournaments, and if they don't take home first place, they view it as a complete failure. So, what advice would you have for those guys in how to find lessons that you can take out of it, so you always are moving forward?
1: Well, what I can say to them is, you know, something. Anytime you fight in a tournament, you're a winner. Not everybody wins first place. You fight. You learn from guys better than you. You fight guys better than you. You pick up things each time that you fight. And, uh, and what, even though you mentioned Chuck Norris here, and I'll tell you what, I fought in a few of his Four Seasons tournaments, and he had some heavy-duty fighters there too. But, you know, some, anytime you come in, if you come out feeling like you lost or something like that because you didn't take first place, that that that's a problem that you have to solve with yourself. Anytime you fight in a tournament, which a lot of people in martial arts have never even fought tournaments. You know something? It's a lot different when you do your cocktails and your techniques. And you know, to be honest with you, I learned something that Senior Grandmaster Sullivan taught me too. You know, techniques, 99% of the time, you would never use. They're only ways to practice your blocks, punch, and kicks. When you get into freestyling, Now you're in the real world. You're fighting guys. You know, you're used to like, I also held the record luckily at Mr. Dimmick's school as grand champion of the school because I won quite a few of them. We used to have monthly freestyle tournaments there. But you know, when you're fighting in a school, it's different. You're used to fighting the same guys over and over. When you get into a tournament, you're fighting guys just like you would on the street that you've never met before. First time fighters. You're fighting guys in different styles, different systems than you. You can pick up from them. You know something? There's a lot of guys out there fighting. And I have nothing bad to say about any system. I think every martial arts system is good and has something to offer. The only difference is the individual himself, what he's looking for. Not every system makes everybody happy. You know, like, uh, I mean, I like Shotokan, but it's a hard system. I like the soft system. Uh, I took, matter of fact, even after some of the tournament fighting, I, I took Krav Maga for uh, about six months. The trouble with it was I was already in my 60s when I started it and pretty well messed up here. It's, it's a, a sport for younger people because you have a lot of calisthenics. And uh, finally, about six months of that, I said, no, this is not for me. I can't handle
2: this.
1: (laughs) But, you know, it's an experience when you fight in a tournament. You're fighting people you've never met before, different styles who fight different than supposedly the way you've trained in a school. And it's a whole different world. You know, I I owe it all. And everything that I've done, I owe to I think, tournament fighting. Because it's real life almost almost it's not the full contact that you're doing now when i fought and i still have a different feeling you know there's a lot of black belts out there and all of this fighting on tv and stuff and it's it's just glorified fighting i mean you're punching you're hitting everybody but to me a true black belt and honestly a very good black belt is the person that when you're fighting you can get through your opponent's defense but you can stop that punch without hitting him. You don't have to, you know, that's what boxing is, full contact, okay? A good black belt should be able to control himself. You Just like if you're in a real street fight, you know how much to apply and how much not to apply, when to stop. And to me, that's a sign of a true, very good martial artist. Anybody can just go in there swinging and hit. Anyway, uh, it's one of the things that I've learned over the years, and I just try and pass it on to my
2: students.
0: So if somebody goes into a tournament, and let's say they don't even place, you still should be able to take out some of those lessons on uh, what did you see and how is that different from what you had trained with before, so now you have some of that experience to take with you going forward.
1: Correct. And one of the things I learned is, you know, if you're going to fight tournaments, to be honest with you my opinion of tournament fighting or point fighting is 50% skill and through the years 25% luck and 25% on what kind of person you are on whether those judges like you or not
2: mm.
1: you know there's a lot of a lot of things in tournament fighting if a, if a judge doesn't like you because you got uh, a bad personality let's say okay He's going to be blind every time he see you score a point. And, of course, back in the day when I was fighting, it wasn't really until the end a lot of accumulative points. It was still the three-minute matches, three points win, and you're the winner.
0: So tell us about those early days in the competitions. Oh, they were great. Uh,
1: you, you, You met some great fighters there, uh... Even though you didn't fight them, you go to the competitions, you'd watch. Uh, one thing I learned uh, that I'm I trying to pass on is if you're going to fight competition, don't walk away after your match. Stay there. Watch how the next couple fights, because you're going to be fighting the winner of that next match. You learn by watching them, seeing what your opponent that you're going to be fighting does. You learn to watch moves. Do things that you're not used to doing. Uh, Anybody, when you're fighting in the school, you know, you're taking it easier and you're slacking and stuff like that. And uh, it's not. When you get into a tournament, you're going full blast. You're fighting hard, but you're still learning. You see how other people fight, what they do. You may learn something new that you've never seen before at your school that another fighter does. Try and imitate him if you can pick it up and learn from it it's great uh, i i would not have given up my fighting days for all 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 the bones and uh broken noses and stitches and lips and eyes and stuff it, it was worth every bit of it
0: what was the, so you mentioned broken bones and whatnot what was the uh, the worst injury you had as part of your tournament career
1: uh, i probably had a couple of them uh I think my worst injury was the first time I took a trophy home from the state championships, second place. And I came back, and at that time, I was fighting another fighter in our school, a guy by the name of Darwin Jones. And Mr. Dimmick said, you know, kind of take it easy and stuff. So without thinking, I didn't just take it easy. I slowed down my whole fighting. And the next thing I know, a spinning back kick, Caught me right in the face, broke my nose right in third class. Uh, there was another time, uh, I fought in, uh, the West championships. We fought on a, uh, uh, Kempo team against, uh, BKF team. But the BKF team had one white guy on their team, a guy called Jerry Pittington. Back then in those days, we called him the animal. And, uh, we were debating and nobody wanted to fight him. So I said, I'll fight Jerry. So I fought him and I kind of, I kind of blipped him a little bit in the nose with a back knuckle on the first strike. And he threw the most beautiful spinning back kick that I've ever seen. And I could just hear the audience go, Oh, and all of a sudden I felt (laughs) over my right eye, the blood running down. He got me with that heel and he didn't knock me down. Uh, I I have to admit I was lucky in my career that, I'd only been knocked down one time off my feet in a in a tournament fight and uh he caught me with the most beautiful spin kick and I could just feel the blood start running down my uh right side of my face and luckily we had one of his black belts that put on the tournament uh he was uh, a dentist and he took me back to his office and he started off by saying uh, I was a little bit wilder in those days <laughs> Uh, do you want the Nova do you want the Nova Cane or do you want uh, a little bit of uh Shevis Regal? So I took the chevis Regal and then I stitched <laughs> up my eye. <laughs> nice. But there's been a few times uh nah you know, you have to remember when you fight tournaments, even in point fighting tournaments, if you start to make an attack on somebody and he starts to back up you can control your punch. But when two forces decide to attack at the same time and you have two forces coming towards each other, sometimes it's hard to pull back your punches. You're going to hit.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: I'm not saying that I'm the only time that I ever got hit. I've been hit plenty of times, but I've also hit plenty of times. So you kind of you watch, too, on how your opponents fight. <laughs> you know, if I get hit, I, I retaliate. And that's just little things you pick up when you're fighting. Other than that, oh, thank God there haven't been too many accidents. But I have to say that one time that I was knocked down was my very first fight as a white belt at the internationals. The guy, in poor boy, he cold cocked me right in the jaw, and I went back on the floor. And uh, that was hard floors. And the doctor stood me up, and he says, okay, why don't you stand there and close your eyes and touch your nose i couldn't find my nose <laughs> keep, hitting, keep hitting pointing and touching my forehead my chin he said that's all for you you're done for the day
0: well, at least they had enough sense to do that that way pardon me at least they had enough sense to make sure you didn't keep going because there's a whole lot of stuff going on around oh, concussions yeah. these days
1: oh yeah you know something a lot of concussions uh Matter of fact, I got to tell this one story. If oh, you don't please mind. Please do. Please do. I fought, I fought in the Pasadena Open in 1971.
0: I took first place
1: heavyweight black belt. It was a smaller tournament. So they only had two weight divisions. Normally I was middleweight. Now, did I want to fight against guys like Benny Arquitas who are super, super fast or the bigger guys who I think I might have had speed over? So I took heavyweight. Somehow, I don't know how, but in the draw on the very first, I drew a bye the first round. By some miracle, I don't know what happened, I drew a bye the second round. So I had to fight the winner of this match between Robert Halpern and Donnie Williams, both big guys. I mean, at that time, I was approximately 5'10". They were both over six footers. And uh, believe it or not, I always teased Donnie about this. Because he was a great fighter, but back in those days, he was a mean fighter. And he hit uh, helping in the face and split his eye open. I mean, he was just bleeding from the face. Uh, well, he couldn't fight anymore. Donnie got disqualified for uh, hitting, and I won first place for never fighting a match. That <laughs> I almost felt been... bad walking around with the trophy.
0: <laughs> that had to have been one heck of an adrenaline dump right after that.
1: Oh boy! Yeah, I went up and thanked Donnie after that. I said, "You know, you really made it good for me." <laughs> I still tease him about that every time I see him. The um, only tournament I ever fought in where I didn't fight and
0: won a trophy. That's funny. I'm hoping. Uh, I hope I can get him on the show too. Which would be that'd be a great topic to ask him about.
1: Oh, he's a fantastic guy. You know, I've had some great experiences over the years back at fighting at the internationals and a lot of that. Of course. It's Steve Mohammed now, but it was always Steve Sanders back then. Well, being both Kempo and all that, and of course, you know, uh, my my teacher right now and Senior Grandmaster Sullivan was uh, Steve's teacher back in the day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Steve used to talk, we'd be out in front, and, you know, he had already started with the BKF. He used to try and teach me those handshakes or salutes that they have. And they had so many different ones, they were changing it all the time. It was looking funny looking at this little white kid out there trying to do these BK absolutes, you know, and uh it was we had some good times. A <laughs> lot of great people met back then. Uh I sure miss those days. Right, well, you still uh, got some great got times of, going
0: on every Monday night these days too, right?
1: Oh yeah, with senior grandmasters Sullivan's dinner with Chuck Sullivan. We have some good times, reminisce, talk there. And, uh, I mean, there's some great guys. I didn't get the opportunity to work out with these guys under uh, Mr. Sullivan, our senior grandmaster Sullivan, back in the day when he had his school. And he turned out some heavy, heavy fighters, great guys, and stuff like that. And there's still a lot of them around and still a lot of them uh, – with him and we have dinner at his house every monday night hopefully we're gonna get to start working out again it's been more dinner than anything else by the time you get through a dinner who feels like working out
0: but uh (laughs) uh, with uh laney doing all the cooking i hear she is phenomenal in the kitchen so
1: oh yeah she is too oh my god (laughs) but i try and cut back some you know but we got some great fighters there too that we still reminisce about. You got uh, Stacy Picasia that goes way back, uh, and uh, Greg Satterfield, uh, Grand, Grandmaster Greg Satterfield, Grandmaster Chuck Boyd, who, oh, man, I, that guy is fantastic. Uh, Robert Temple comes by once in a while from the BKF. And believe me, I sparred before I started falling apart here with Robert a couple times, and he takes it easy on me, but he's a good, good fighter. I mean, excellent martial artist. A lot of respect for that man. And we have Dominic McGee, who's our narrator and co-founder of the Society of of Ancient Warriors. There's a lot of good people at
0: those. uh, I've got video of Robert Temple and Armando DeLoa from probably 2008 or 2009 at one of the IKCA seminars, and they put on a sparring uh-huh. clinic. It was amazing to watch.
1: Yes. Matter of fact, me and Armando got promoted together to Grandmaster at the same uh, night.
0: Yeah, I just interviewed him uh, for the show a couple of days ago, actually. So I'm uh, looking forward to getting that, that uh, podcast up, and I'm yeah, glad I got I, to talk I, to him I, before I that. Saw him
1: on, yeah, I saw him on Facebook this morning and prayers are always going his way for a speedy recovery. He's a fantastic martial artist.
0: Yep, and uh, the what he what he said was, you know, even if they wind up having to amputate this foot, I told him, get me a plastic one, and I'm going to learn how to walk again, and then I'll learn how to train again, and I'll be back on the mat teaching before you know it.
1: You bet, and he will do it too.
0: He is a driven individual. So. Yes. We are privileged to have him as we are privileged to have you in our IKCA group.
1: Oh, thank you. I and you know I love everybody in the group. Uh, in the IKCA, we're not just a group; we're a family. Well said. And everybody there is great. We have a great time together, and uh, we continue. I look forward to our Monday nights every time I can make it with dinner with Chuck. A lot of reminiscing about the old days too.
0: It always looks like a ton of and fun. So, all right, let's let's uh, let's switch gears just a little bit here. So. Out of everybody that you fought, which is I don't know, probably a thousand people at this point in tournaments, does that sound about right?
1: Well, pretty close.
0: Okay, so out of all of those people, who do you think was the toughest opponent you ever fought?
1: The toughest? Mm, well, that's a, that's gonna be hard to say, but there were there were a lot of tough ones. Uh, I remember John Natividad from uh, Chuck Norris's Tang Soo do. Oh, he was a he was tough. That John, I will tell you what. He could put his foot up by your head and just keep it going back and forth without stopping. He was so flexible. Uh, it's really hard to say. I, I mean, God, I thought Howard Jackson one time who, who is dynamic. Uh, you know, it, it's really hard to say who was probably the toughest because there were a lot of lot of tough fighters out there. And luckily, sometimes uh, I didn't get to fight them all, because uh, either they were disqualified or uh, maybe lost in the match before I could get to them or, or they could get to me. But there were so many great fighters out there. Uh, Bob White, Bob Mitchell, uh, the guy I lost the California Championships to the first time, Brian Strange, all great fighters from the Garden Grove School uh, under Bob Perry. Uh, so many different good fighters from different styles, God, it, it, you know something i I to be honest with you, I can't really say who the toughest fighter was. They were all tough. I mean, you know, they just keep coming at you uh and you kill you go back at them. uh
0: I wish you could see it, the smile helped. on my face that 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 is a question that we call a baiting question to try to get you to open up and get a whole bunch more names thrown out there. So it worked exactly as I was hoping it to.
1: <laughs> well, good. Cause, uh, you know, some. I, I can't say that one guy was better than the other or tougher than the other, uh, at one time or another, they were all tough and such great fighters. Uh, it's hard to say. We had guys from the Downey school, Brian Sonnenberg, big George. Hay. uh, even Tony Sartor himself who brought me in at first, uh, God, we had some tough fighters, Darwin Jones. He's, uh, he's still also in the art too and, uh, fighting around, but I do have to admit that I, I do have to say in my fighting career, I owe everything to senior grandmaster Dimmick.
0: Okay. So let's talk about it for his, a little bit. Without,
1: okay. Without his teaching and, uh, up i would have never made it you know all the years that i trained with him i think i maybe scored on him one time one time he he was a fantastic fighter with hands and feet
0: combinations i've you know there's not a whole lot of information out on the web on joe dimick i've you know i've done a lot of research for trying to get ready for my guest to be on the show and you know i had seen that your mm-hmm. history included the garden grove school under bob perry and uh, original uh, instructor was Joe Dimick, so um, I'm really curious. Can you tell us about what that training was like in in Mr. Dimick's school and how that was different, for example, than under the Perry School or under the IKCA?
1: Well, you know, back actually back in in that day uh, in Joe's school, and we always started out with stretching exercises first. Okay, then we did. Uh, let's see, we did techniques first, then we'd go to techniques, then we'd go to katas and, uh, then freestyle afterwards and, uh, freestyle. And, and that they, uh, Mr. Dimmick had, uh, a freestyle class just for the guys that wanted to fight and fighters, of course, most everybody had to fight sooner or later, but we used to have a tournament there at the school. Once a month, we would have the monthly freestyle tournament. Anybody could, uh, from the school could sign up to enter it. and uh, I'm lucky that I have about twenty to thirty of the blue ribbons for first place, which I had a, a very lucky career. and uh, but a lot of guys, a lot of tough fighters. Uh, you know when I went over and trained at Mr. Perry school, it's the same thing with a lot of sparring. We got once you get to the point that you start sparring, You know, something, you look forward to it. That's what you want to do. You want to fight against somebody. Uh, You know, that's what, if you really need this to defend yourself on the street, that's where you're going to learn it, in sparring. Because nobody fights according to a technique. They're not going to get back into a a neutral bowl with the right hand back and throw a punch at you. You know, they're going to blindside you. They're going to come here. Freestyle sparring is where it's really at. I love it, I miss it. I'm getting too old for it.
0: And now you get to help train but the next generation I'm... of sparring people, so there you go. I'll tell you what,
1: uh it's like when I first came to the IKCA, I sparred with Chuck Sullivan too. Oh man. Tough, you talk about tough. He is tough. And we were, you know, pretty much the same size. Height-wise and everything, not bigger guy and everything. His hands, his his knuckles. Oh my God! <laughs> and, you know the man is a, you know, the man is amazing for 86 years old. And Mr. Dimmick's going to be 81 here uh, this month. You know, boy, that's that school when they were back there really turned out. But of course, I always tease Mr. Dimick because he has his uh his other thing also Dimmick's doubles. Which are doubles for uh, actors,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, Mr. Dimmick is the Clint Eastwood lookalike. And back in the day, matter of fact, I remember him in that movie, uh, uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> he's
0: the
1: assassin. He's the assassin up there with the little crossbow.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: But uh, yeah, uh, I'll tell you what he he was something else. I remember, like I said, I remember that one time. I was sparring with him. I think I got one point in to the uh, the stomach or chest, whatever, and I got a punch in. And, boy, boy somebody must have been watching out for me because that's like uh, Mr. Demick, Mr. Sullivan. They don't like to be scored on. <laughs> and, boy, I'll tell you what, I've been boy. hit by both of them. Luckily, that day when I got that point in, some reason told me to duck. And I had been down that punch would, would, would have gone, went right over my head, would have went right through me if, he, if I hadn't. Somebody must have been watching out for me. But I remember the first time I came into the uh, IKCA and I sparred with uh, Senior Grandmaster Sullivan. Boy, he caught me with a back duckle. Whoa. There's some tough cookies that came out in that day. Believe me, they were great people to learn from.
0: So you worked oh. with Mr. Dimick and then went to Mr. Perry, but you didn't really stop working with Mr. Dimmick until he relocated, though, right?
1: Right. Uh, after he relocated, I was, uh, before I got promoted, I was uh, working out with him. Uh, I had cleared, I had let Mr. Sullivan know that I was still working out with Mr. Dimick on YouTube. Uh, I worked right. out with him for almost two years on Skype. And, uh... It was interesting, but you know something? It's kind of hard to work out and Skype in a little office like my office here with all this stuff in here, and uh, he's a a good mover, and he likes to use feet and hand combinations. I couldn't do it in here. Of course, I'm getting so broken up anymore uh, with parts being repaired. I'm almost the uh, $6 million man, but I think I get all the old rusted parts. (laughs)
0: Have to do a few more movies.
1: Well, God, uh, yeah, well, hopefully this coming year I'm going to start again. Uh, I'd like to, but, you know, as you get older, not as many calls anymore.
0: <laughs> so there's a, there's a note in your bio on the IKCA site, uh, or excuse me, the old bio, that says uh, you continued your studies with Mr. Dimmick until you reached fourth degree, and then Mr. Dimmick relocated and you took hiatus. Um, and then yeah. at... You had at the urge of senior Grandmaster Parker, you came back. How did that happen?
1: Well, you know something, I retired from fighting for a while, and then I just one day I don't know something got into me and i said i'm I'm entering the internationals. Of course, this was in the uh at that time it was in the uh forty thirty six to forty four year group i'm sorry forty five and up group and uh I went in as a black belt and I fought. And I came out with uh that one I came out with second place senior black belt, and uh Mr. Parker came up to me, and we've been talking and uh stuff, well, and he says, "You know something you're one of the only guys I know who could not fight for ten years. come back into my internationals and walk out with a trophy. Of course, you know he didn't realize that uh back then." 45 and up, there weren't that many contestants like there were in the regular categories. That's why also in the senior categories like that, we didn't fight any of the other ones for your grand champion. That mm-hmm. was limited to the light, medium, and heavyweight blacks. So he promoted me to fifth degree. And uh, from then on, uh, I stopped again and uh, I continued with my fifth degree until uh, I started with the IKCA, and then I had to learn the whole system and to retain my degree. And uh, I came into the IKCA as a fifth degree after I learned the whole system and tested for it. I had to test first. Mm -hmm. And as you know, we do our video testing, so I had to put everything on video. And then I got my uh, fifth degree in IKCA, kept that, and continued to – Worked out every Monday night over there with uh, the guys and uh, Senior Grandmaster Sullivan and uh, tested every three years until uh, that fateful day in uh, 2011 that I got promoted to Grandmaster. So it's been an experience, and I I wouldn't have passed it up or anything.
0: That sounds like it.
1: Yep. I
0: still look forward to it. I remember reading I remember that little blurb about the uh, Mr. Parker urging you to come back and and uh, wondering what the story was. So now we know. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, you know, he always says, you know, you did good in the tournaments. Why quit?
1: Well, I guess it was after I kind of stopped after the eight stitches in my right eye, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that kind of caused me to lay down. Of course, don't forget too, I was married and had a uh, family and. All I heard was, oh, "God, she's not around, is she?" The nagging at home—you're getting too <laughs> old for this—and
0: <laughs> I still hear it. Uh, that's but, good. That means you know she's been around long enough. That. that means she's been something? around long enough to know you really well. Oh yeah. Well, we're going on
1: uh, this January. It'll be fifty-three years married. That is
0: amazing.
1: No, fifty-two. I think. Oh God, I better not forget that. She'll kill
2: me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, fifty years married in this day and age is just crazy awesome.
2: Yeah, it is.
1: But you know something? Uh, to be honest with you, I never found anybody that would put up
0: with me as much <laughs> as she has.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that would be the truth. Or well, at right. least, at,
0: at least maybe not, except for the ones that you don't mind punching back. You know. And plus, the the, the funny story part about it
1: is. She was sitting in the stands the year that I won uh, the International Brown Belt. And, and it's, it's a funny story because I was fighting a guy for uh, first place Brown from uh, Tracy's school up in Nor- Northern California, Tracy Kempel. And one thing, if I had you, back in those days, there were just three-minute matches of the first one to three, uh, three points, right? He had me two to nothing with 30 seconds left to go, and I came back and beat him. And, and it kind of looks funny to say this now, but I hit him with a back knuckle to get the first point, and I was I should have been disqualified for facial contact. But he had a beard on, and Chuck Norris was the main referee. And he looked over at him, and he looked in the beard, and I don't see any red spot point. So I got my first point. So he was had me two to one. And he was so anxious to get that uh, third point that, you know, if I've got you two to nothing with 30 seconds left to go, you're not going to beat me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Cause I'll, I'll be a good defensive fighter. He was so anxious to get that point that I beat him with a punch just before, as the clock ran out and tied the score. And then we came in uh, to the final match, sudden death overtime. And, I I couldn't believe it. We both lined up and were ready to fight. And he started to charge me, but he put his hand up in the air by his head like he was going to come down on me. And, boy, I just punched right in underneath him straight to the ribs and uh, beat him. (laughs) And I took first place that year. So it it was the same time. My wife was up in the uh, stands. with my. She was like, what, eight and a half months pregnant with my uh, first child. And uh, she said, that's it. I'm not coming to tournaments anymore. I can't take this. This is too pressuring, wondering whether you're going to get hit, you're going to lose, you're going to (laughs) win. She never came came to a tournament after that because, you know, I've had my share of hits too because uh, like when I was working out with Mr. Perry Mm
2: -hmm.
1: at the school there, well, I hadn't fought for a while. And she was happy. (laughs) he talked me into fighting into this tournament that was coming out and I forget which exactly, which one it was. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. I think it was the U, uh, USK far West classic. And that was a black belt tournament. or uh, rather I was a black belt then. And I fought in the tournament. I said, okay, I'm going to fight. And I went there that day and I, I came home that night and I had second place trophy. Okay, and I put it there on the bed, and she said, oh, you won. And I said, yeah. And then I turned on the lights, and she saw my broken nose. <laughs> <laughs> she said, all I remember her saying was, that's it. You're done fighting.
0: How so, long did that last? Yeah,
1: until uh, I joined the IKCA. <laughs> <laughs> because every Monday night was a sparring <laughs> a match there. And it, it it was fun, you know, something once you get it in your blood, you don't want to quit. I, I I look forward to sparring all the time.
0: Now you you don't spar obviously as much as much now as you used to, but yeah, uh, you know that comes with the territory as you age no. and get injured, I guess.
1: Yeah, I tell you what, it's getting hard enough to walk anymore. So a spar. No, but I still enjoy it if we
0: get in there in a nice,
1: comfortable fifty percent match. There you go. Uh, my hundred percent days are over.
0: Probably a good idea. So there's yeah. a there's a relatively famous picture out there that has four gentlemen in it, and uh, I've seen it in multiple different places, and you've got it on your Facebook as well. And in that picture is, from uh, left to right, is Mr. Singer, Mr. Bob Perry, Mr. Ed Parker, and Mr. Bob White. So we yeah. talked we talked some about the Dimmick years. How was it training with Mr. Perry? There's not a whole a lot of inf- another one. There's not it a whole a lot of information out there about.
1: Well, you know something, I only spent about uh, a year or two there because I had my kids there. And uh, now that Mr. Dimmick has uh, moved out of state, uh, I wanted a school that was close by the house that I could take them and get them interested in. Well, I've known Bob Perry and uh, all the guys, Bob White, Bob Mitchell, and all them for years. I mean, we were like sister schools from Downey to uh, Garden Grove. And, uh, you know... There were a lot of times, to be honest with you, like flying up to San Francisco for the state championships. I I partied with these
2: guys.
1: (laughs) You know, not all of us were just, you know, thinking about tournaments. We went out and partied that night, too. And uh, I knew all those guys, so I felt safe taking it there. And I knew he was a good teacher. I mean, look at the guys that he turned out fighting. So I took my kids there. The problem with it was uh my kids were young. My son didn't like to do anything but spar. He didn't want to learn katas, he didn't want to learn techniques. Well that was part of the thing. So when he decided I don't want to do this anymore, I said, Fine. I'm not forcing you to do anything uh, which I regret. But uh my daughter she was uh she turned thirteen and uh she found out about boys instead of uh sparring.
0: <laughs> yeah, but believe that. it
1: or not, one of my go
0: ahead i said there went that
1: yeah well believe it or not now in the school that i have now that i'm teaching i have you know four or five students that's about all a couple other guys working out there my daughter is one of my students but she's not actually my student because uh she's my daughter she's too much like me so uh grandmaster doug wheeler uh when he's available teaches her uh she's a brown belt and hopefully next year she'll be going for a black belt right on but i i, I can't because I, I i teach with my daughter and i sometimes i get i get too mad because i want her to do things a certain way and she talks back and you know she's not <laughs> a kid anymore so we argue too much i figured it'd be better somebody else teaches her so grandmaster uh, Doug Wheeler has been teaching her since she
0: started there you go.
1: But uh, it's it's an interesting time.
0: That's got to be interesting. I, uh, I told myself a while back that uh, when my kids get old enough to train, it will not be me teaching them for that exact same reason. Yeah. So I'll
1: make well, my, my daughter takes too. after me. Yeah, you know, some my daughter takes after me. And she, she'll argue back, you know, with me. And I don't want that in class. And plus, I can't train her. She's too hard-headed. <laughs> <laughs> that part she gets after her mother <laughs> but uh oh, you know, she's great. doing real good she's doing real good and uh I'm proud of her uh you know and I'm hoping that when the time comes that she does her black belt test and uh train because she's uh not only with my school but she's also a member of the IKCA
0: now, Doug Wheeler should get her squared away so no worries there
1: I hope so. Yeah, as soon as he gets back here to teaching.
0: <laughs> okay, so who were your... Actually, here's the real question I wanted to get to because I kept getting sidetracked. I kept hearing all these fun stories and getting sidetracked. So who did you <laughs> come up with under Mr. Dimmick? So, you know, like Mr. Sullivan had Mr. Dimick as a classmate under Mr. Parker. Who did you come up with under Mr. Dimmick? And then who did you train with at Mr. Perry's?
1: Okay, uh... I don't remember these names now, but uh, under Mr. Dimmick, uh, of course, Mr. Dimmick taught a lot of the classes, and uh, under him was uh, Tony Sartor, who uh, actually, uh, you probably remember the name, or heard of the name Fred Brewster. Mm -hmm. Well, Tony and Fred opened their own school afterwards also, but Tony was one of the guys that brought me into Joe's school because we both worked at, uh, North American aviation at that time on the Apollo program. And, uh, he was already there. He was one degree higher than me and, uh, heck of a fighter too. And, uh, I came up under him and, uh, a few other, other guys. There's, uh, God, I can't remember his first name. His last name was Sosa was a good one. Uh, God, there were so many. I can't, you know, something, I must be getting old. I can't remember that far back. <laughs> uh, I, mem- I remember at Bob Perry school, there were, there was uh, Dale Walker. Uh, Steve Rice was the guy that was teaching my kids at that time. Uh, and he was a heck of a fighter also. There were a lot of good fighters each school. But by this time, when I was there at Bob Perry's school, Bob White and all them had left for their own other schools. Bob White opened his school there, and he's God, he's been in Costa Mesa here. He's been teaching for 50 years, seems like.
0: Yeah, but I just had him all, on the podcast. Yeah, I just had him all, on the podcast over the weekend, so his episode will be coming out. Uh, I think he's going to be in week two, so it'll be pretty cool.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, he's still a dear friend, and, uh, Good guy, and there were a lot of good fighters in those days. I'll tell you what, Garden Grove School had them. We had Brian, like I said, Brian Sonnenberg, George Hay. I remember one story about George Hay, who we called in our school Baby Huey.
0: <laughs> now a, you got to tell was, the
1: story. Yeah, he was an ex-hockey player. And he, t- and he took there, and uh, you know, when we used to train, we always heard the Japanese and Stylist consider the front hand no power. Well, i have heard that for years and years until I saw George Hay at the California State Championships. We had gone there to fight and he was here in the neutral bowl and a guy came in charging him and threw the punch and George Hay back it. Back knuckled his hand and it fractured right between the elbow and the wrist. The bowing. It was sticking out of his arm. And then I looked at myself and, boy, you tell me some of the other styles say that the front hand is no power. Mm -hmm. They should see this. Right. But I used to have a thing back in the day. I can't do it now. But I did get George Hay one time. We were fighting in the monthly freestyle. And to be honest with you, he wanted to beat me so bad. And he's probably a good head taller than I was. A good boy. And I was a middleweight. But he came in, and he George used to love the step-through back kick. Okay. And he threw he threw that step-through back kick. And I had, back in that time, uh, my timing was a little bit better. I dropped to the ground on my left shoulder and shot my foot straight up from the ground. And, boy, I caught him right in the groin as he went right over my head. Boy, he he, he even looked at me that time. How did you do that? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> it just seemed like a natural thing to do at the time. Because <laughs> I know I know the power behind his step through back kick.
0: Yeah, so we're not going to take put dealing with that one. I'm going to get down on the ground and and uh, let you roll over this. Here you go.
1: Well, you you know as long as you got time and we're still telling cute stories. Sure, I'll tell you a story about the night that I got promoted uh, by Mr. Parker and Mr. Dimick to black belt. Mm-hmm. We had a guy there, and it was just testing for black belt with just two people, me and George Hay. And before us was a brown belt testing. Well, you know, the the natural way of testing is get down on your knees, you bow, you bow to the belt, you take your belt off, and you place it. Back in that day, we didn't hand it to somebody else to tie, but it was placed on the floor next to you. Then you put on your new belt. Well, this kid with a brown belt, and Mr. Parker was right in front of him on his knees. Mr. Dimmick on the other side, and he takes the brown belt off, and he looks at it and flings it across the room. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what. i never seen Mr. Parker kick a guy so hard in my life. <laughs> I mean, he could talk up as but he put that guy into the wall. Then me and George came up afterwards, and we're sitting there in our square horse's, And he asked us, well, what do you want, kick or uh, heel of palm? Well, you always knew you never take the heel of palm from Mr. Parker because it always goes straight to the solar plexus. And, boy, we took the kicks, and George was kind of trying to fight against it, and he started to go back before the kick came in. It caught him right in the heart, Mr. Parker's kick, and nailed him right into the wall. Well, then I figured, oh, my God, I'm next. And I'm standing there with my... Square horse position, my hands on the side, my belt turned to the side, and he's going to kick me. And, boy, I saw the kick come in, and I just kind of rolled back on the heels of my foot when it hit me, and I took two steps back and then walked back up and got back in position. And Mr. Dimas looked at him and said, he kind of rolled with that. you think we should give him another kick? And Mr. <laughs> Parker said, no. <laughs> if he's smart enough to go with it, let him go.
0: <laughs> nice. So,
1: well, I was wanting that. I thought I was going to have to take another kick from Mr. Parker.
0: And that's a uh, tradition that he always has to kick harder than everybody else who kicks in the line, too, right?
1: Yes, yes. Believe me. He, uh, he actually uh, gave me the first kick, I believe. And then Mr. Dimmick, because it was his school, gave me the second kick. And then a few of the other black belts, too, uh, that helped train me. Uh, it was, it was an exciting night. I tell you what, that was one of the most proudest nights of my life is when I got my first black belt after all those years and studying and training. And uh, so that was one of the proudest nights of my life.
0: Do you remember much of the test from that night?
1: Oh, God, the test? Mm-hmm. Yes. We had to go through, oh, God, everything. Everything that we learned, all the techniques, we had to do uh, short one, short two, long one, long two, short three, both sides, long three, four, and two-man set. So he put us through everything. I mean, it was was no fun night. I think the second most exciting night in my life was, of course, my 10th degree. It's been, like I say, uh, what, it started in 1964, so this was going on my 50, uh, 53rd year in Kempo.
0: That's a long career. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, but worth every minute of it. You even I have still your own patch, too. It. And now you even I have your own it. patch, too, right?
1: Yes, I have my own patch now since I opened my own school. It's nothing really brilliant or anything like that, but it's kind of what I, I, I like because it's Kempo system. We have the I have the dragon and the tiger, which of course the tiger is for strength and the dragon for wisdom. And then you know I didn't want to copy anybody else and everything, so I put on there a rattlesnake.
0: And what does the rattlesnake like, symbolize?
1: The rattlesnake symbolizes, you know, like uh, some of the other styles. Okay, the BKF has the cobra. I didn't want to think that I was copying it. Plus. The cobra is one of the most deadliest snakes, but the rattlesnake is one of the fastest striking snakes with the way that it moves. So mm-hmm. that's why I kind of picked it for speed. Right on. And that's the Kempo system. You know something? Speed, smooth, flow, uh, floating, kind of like Muhammad Ali. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee.
0: In this case, it's float like a butterfly and strike like a rattlesnake.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it's put all of them together.
0: Nice. That's the
1: one thing I like. That's the one thing I, I've always enjoyed about the tiger and the dragon. Is like I said, the tiger for strength and the dragon for wisdom. You can't have one without the other. You can't be all tiger. You can't be all dragon. You have to be able to think also, especially fighting in tournaments. Mm-hmm. If you fight. You have to be able to think, and you have to be able to know to control yourself. Anybody can just go into a slugfest and hope that they get away with it. But I don't know. That's been my philosophy all the time. If you can't think, you can't fight.
0: When we were doing the prep work for, you know, talking about having you on for this interview, um, you would mentioned that you try to keep an open mind about everything. Uh, every doesn't matter what style yeah. somebody's from. You know, if you can learn something from them, you learn something from them, right? Right. So you know
1: something. I, I will. Ne- I will never put down another style. I think all martial arts have something to offer. Each individual is looking for something else. And the, you know, if you look at the way that the
0: IKCA. Oh, the creed. The creed. Oh,
1: God, my mind goes blank at times. Uh, the creed. All martial arts and styles are a brotherhood, and that's the way we're supposed to be. We are a brotherhood. I don't care whether you're Shotokan, Tang Soo Do, Taekwondo, uh, Ishin Ryu, whatever kempo. You're a brotherhood of martial artists that train. Almost basically, all the all the uh, basics are practically the same anyway. The inward, outward, upward blocks and stuff like that. Your punches and things. Uh, we're all a brotherhood, and you have to have respect for the other. You can't. I I never believe that one style is better than another. They all have something good to offer. Each individual is a different person. It's what they're looking for, on what they find, which is best for them. Well said. So,
0: okay. So you trained under some really big names in the Kempo world, under Joe Dimmick and then Bob Perry, and then Senior Grandmaster Chuck Sullivan. So my question is, what do you think has been the biggest lesson that you've learned from the three of them, either you know, all as a group or individually from any of the three?
2: Uh,
1: you know, I, I think from all three of them, I've learned the same thing. Like I say, when I first graduated high school and during high school, I was pretty shy. I've, I think the, the biggest thing that I've learned from all of them is confidence in yourself. If you don't have confidence in yourself and you can't learn confidence in yourself, you can't expect somebody else to have confidence in you. If no matter what you do, you have to be confident in yourself of what you're doing, whether you're teaching, nobody's perfect. Everybody still learns. You know something? I may have the title of grandmaster right now, but I'm still learning. I still, I learn something new all the time at school, but I learned, you know something? I have confidence in myself. I don't care how big the guy is, how little the guy is. You know I know what I can do. doesn't mean that I'm going to win or whatever that I'm perfect, but I have confidence in myself to go out and do what I want or take what get what I want. That's what I think what something that all of them have instilled in me i mean you know i would have never I would have never completed let's admit it. If if you have maybe, let's just say for an example, a 1,000 people that sign up for martial arts, you're going to be lucky if 10 of those ever make it to black belt. You know, this is a way of life.
0: Yep, the industry average is that you lose 50% of your students every level from white to black.
1: 50%?
0: Yeah, you lose 50% every level. So if you start with 100 white belts, you're going to have 50 yellow belts, and then you lose another 50% for every level up to black. It's it's the only industry where losing 50% of your students is an acceptable ratio.
2: <laughs>
0: For well, ev- everything else, if you, yeah, lost, you lost 50% of what people. you had, you wouldn't be successful. So,
1: Yeah, you know, people people don't have the, especially nowadays, I think the initiative to follow through with stuff that they start. And yeah, they're all mostly short-term things. When I started with this, there was no way I was quitting. I fell in love with it. You know, something, it, w- it was a lifestyle. It's still, to me, a lifestyle and a brotherhood. Uh, you know, something I, we, I can get mad at somebody, let's say, on Monday night at uh, Senior Grandmaster and I've been mad before with people, but they're still my brothers, you know, yeah, I, I fight with my real brother sometimes, but I don't hate him. Uh, it's it, it's a brotherhood and a family, and I, you know something. I've got the confidence in myself. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I I know me, and I'm confident in what I do. Every somebody might see it different the way I do things. Can't help it. Everybody's different. Everybody's an individual.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, more power to him. But. You know something? Uh, I'm I'm going to be just like Senior uh, Grandmaster Sullivan and Mr. Dimmick. I mean, they're both in their 80s and they're still teaching and working out. Uh, I hope to live that long to continue to do what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it almost like the old days when I first started. I don't charge very much for uh, lessons here, but I don't publicize it either. Okay. All I want to do is be able to pass on what I've learned over the years and hope that it
0: helps somebody else. All right. Today on The Artist of Motion, my guest has been Grandmaster Howard Singer of the IKCA. This podcast has a worldwide audience, and our goal is to positively affect anyone who finds nuggets of wisdom in our discussions. On that subject, I'd like to turn it over to Grandmaster Singer. What message would you like to send out to the world, sir? Be positive. You know something? Like
1: I said, all martial arts are good. No martial art is better than the other, in my opinion. They all have something to offer. Learn confidence in yourself and what you do, and don't be afraid to share it with somebody else. I mean, you can learn from other people. It doesn't mean that because I started in one style and switched to another style, I thought that the other style was better that I'm in now. Kemple is better for me. That doesn't mean that you may think it's, Shotokan's better for you. That's what you're uh, performing in. And I think that's what you should do. You have to look around, be positive, and find what you feel comfortable in. Okay? Certain people learn at different levels. Don't be despondent if you're not as fast as another learner. That doesn't mean you're not going to learn. You will learn. Be confident in yourself. But once you start, follow through. Don't be a quitter. Okay, that's basically what, what I can pass on to you and just be proud of what you do and yourself.
0: Beautiful. So if anybody okay. out there would like to get a hold of you, sir, how would you like them to contact you?
1: You can either contact me by my phone, which is my cell phone, 714-501-8315, or my email is Kempo Senior, just Sr. Kenpo, SR at AOL.com. And then you're also on Facebook as well, right? Right. Seniors for Senior Old Guy.
0: (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Okay. So we got the phone number in there. It's Kenpo Senior at AOL.com, or you can find him on Facebook under Howard Singer.
1: Correct.
0: All righty. Grandmaster Singer. Thank you. Mr. Singer.
1: Thank you very much. I want to, first off, before I finish, thank you very much for this opportunity. This is a really... One of the first times that I've had to express my our uh, chance to express my feelings and how I feel about this, so I want to thank you very much for what you're doing. This is a great job you're doing.
0: Uh, it's, it's my honor, sir. I'm just really, really stoked. Everybody who's been on our podcast so far has been a font of information. There's some amazing stories that are coming out there. Uh, this podcast is is absolutely an example of that exact same thing. I got history stories out of this that I've never heard before, and Everybody that we can help, you know, the, the more people that we can touch, the more people that we can help, the better the world's going to be, right? So it has been my well, honor to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for taking the time out to, to talk with us. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, getting this podcast edited and dropped, and uh, I'll let you know.
1: Okay, thank you very much.
0: I appreciate it. Have a great rest of your Take day, care. sir. You too. Thank you. Bye. 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 This was really the first lengthy conversation I'd ever gotten to have with Grandmaster Singer. He and I have known each other for some time as part of the IKCA, but just hadn't had the opportunity to sit down and talk. I enjoyed hearing his story, and I hope you all did too. Coming up, episode number 10 is an old buddy of mine. He's the first dude I really got to know when I joined the IKCA. He's a certified instructor in two different disciplines, Keto and Kempo. He's a veteran of our United States military, and you can really hear the passion in his voice he has for the days he spent flying in B-52 aircraft. Bill Parsons has some great words of wisdom to share, so check him out next week on episode number 10. I've gotten a lot of feedback on this podcast to my Facebook page, a couple of emails, and a lot of text messages. I love all of them. Everybody seems to dig the positivity and the stories they get to hear. Cheap plug time. If you're subscribed on iTunes or Google Play, we would greatly appreciate it. Leave us a review and/or a rating. It helps us in the index scores and pushes us to the top of receiving offers to help cover our costs for publication. It's all about causing ripples in a pond. So tell someone you think might enjoy it. Share the links around. Together we can help people just by letting them share in the great messages our guests bring to every episode. Find us at artistemotion.com, artistemotion.com/itunes, and leave us a rating or a comment or two. Artistemotion.com, Google Play, rinse and repeat. Leave us a rating and a comment or two. On our Facebook page, Artist of Motion, email to pod at artistofmotion.com. That's all for episode number nine. I'm Steve Zalazowski. Catch you next time on the Artist of Motion podcast.